0: To live for you and glorify your name. Your name is a strong and mighty town. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing aloud. Nothing has the Let's pray. Father, we are very privileged to worship you, and I pray that as we look into your word, that these truths would wash over our souls. I know that even as I've been studying this week, I know you've laid on my heart a desire to see these things become more internalized and externalized, As a result, and I pray uh, that your spirit would work not only to inform us, but to transform us, to refresh us, and to recharge us, and to send us out to be salt and light in this world that desperately needs it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On August 6th, 2019, the Urbandale Police Department hosted what they called uh, a national night out. Okay, and I'm, I'm quoting from the, the website, from the Urbindale website, it says, and the purpose was, at least in part, to generate support for local anti-crime programs and to strengthen community and police partnerships. What a winsome way, I mean, it had games and activities and food and all, what a winsome way to kind of tear down the walls of prejudice that may be built up by people, hostilities towards law enforcement. You know, they kind of get a bad rap a lot of times. And so what a neat way for them to kind of tear down those walls and to develop a bond with the people in the community. As I was thinking about it, I thought, well, how much more does the church of Jesus Christ in days that we live in, days in which people are at minimum apathetic and at worst antagonistic towards Christ and towards the church, how much more do we need to be building bridges to the community and breaking down the, the barriers and the hostilities and the antagonism towards them. We need to build those bridges between the believers and the people we're trying to reach who oftentimes kind of look at us like we're estranged and we're strange and we're weird and they need to know that we're not. Last week we began this series about doing good works to build goodwill so we can share good news and we said that our mission statement leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement. And I said that I believe that our mission, fulfilling our mission, begins with us showing good works so that we're able to share the good news. That's where it begins. Now, Scripture goes on to say not only should we just do good works but gives us some some platforms and some reasons incentives and some activities to be involved in why should we do that well scripture declares that the practice of righteous living creates a platform for gospel sharing as we do the good works so that we can build the goodwill that gives us a platform to share the good news because I quoted Joe Aldridge last week. He says, people don't care how much we know, till we know till they know how much we care. And I would say, people don't care how much we, if they know how much we care, then they'll care how much, care enough to listen to what we share. Okay? So if we show them the love of Christ, then they'll say, "Well, maybe we do, you care enough about me that I'll listen to what you have to share with me. And so this morning, we're going to look at the second of these three steps in the process of bringing Christ to our communities. The first is to do good works. The second is to build goodwill so that we can share good news. Specifically, the scripture talks about or reveals to us, and I, I mean, okay, when I say the scripture does it, I'm not trying to say that this is the final end-all, be-all of it. As I was looking through the texts of Scripture and thinking about it and praying about it, these three aspects of building goodwill through doing good works that opens the door to share good news came out. So I'm going to share them with you this morning and hopefully we'll be encouraged and challenged to build goodwill by doing good works so we can share good news. And the first of these aspects is that we're given some instructions, our instructions to build goodwill. It's not just that we pick this out of a hat somewhere. The Bible talks to us about it. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at two main passages, Matthew chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 2. But Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt becomes tasteless, How will it be made salty again? It's useless. It's thrown out and trampled by men. Saul, or the writer, Jesus says, it's it's trampled except it's good for nothing. And it's thrown out and trampled by men, underfoot by them. You are the light of Of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a, the NASB says, peck measure. Uh, Some of yours may say a bushel. They don't hide it, but they set it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the room. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There are at least two considerations that inform our exploration of this idea of building goodwill through doing good works from the passage. First of all, there is the biblical instructions and the first one is given in the passage that I just read. And in this Sermon on the Mount, which just began in chapter 5 verse 1, Jesus moves in verses 13 and following from the character of the kingdom... Or kingdom character, which he has just described in the Beatitudes, now to kingdom conduct. What should our conduct be in light of our character? And he begins with highlighting these two things: a two-fold description of believers as salt. Notice it doesn't say you should become salt, you should become light. He says you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And that twofold description actually indicates that we're called to influence a corrupt world because he used those terms. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, I think we're going to put it up on the screen. It says, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, we live in an age in which the world is very corrupt. And I could do a lot, a lot of it. I mean, we have uh, mass murders taking place. We have uh, people uh, abusing uh, the system. We, I, I heard this week of a 12-year-old uh, young boy who's a drag queen. And, and this is an effort that's supported by his, his mother. 180,000 Twitter followers. We just remembered September 11th, 2001, and the terrorist attacks on 9-11. And in some places in the the Middle East, they're celebrating, anticipating another attack. This is the the kind of hostility and corruption and decadence that we're faced with in, in our culture. And so when Jesus said, you are the salt... We're spiritual salt because the world is spiritually decaying, the spiritually corrupt, spiritually sick, and diseased. Uh, The idea behind salt, as I understand it now, you're going to hear, you could hear a lot of messages on Matthew chapter 5, and they're going to detail about 16 different understandings of how you can interpret the use of salt. I'm not saying any of those are wrong. I'm just saying that I think in this passage, in this context, it's the preserving and healing aspect of salt that is most prominent. And I say that because genuine Christians in the world retard moral and spiritual decay, or were intended to. That's how I understand it to be. And purify moral contaminants because salt was used to heal wounds, you know. I mean, people who get sick or have scrapes and stuff, they go swimming in the ocean and it, it heals faster. It also preserves things from decaying. They, used to, they didn't have refrigeration and stuff. They used to pack, even now in some places up in, in the, uh, North America and Alaska, they pack stuff in salt, right, and then it doesn't spoil. It's preserved. And that's the effect that Christianity is supposed to have and Christians are supposed to have. If you think about history, this is true. Christians were on the cutting edge of the abolition of slavery. In England, William Wilberforce. The United States, Abraham Lincoln. Christians have always been on the cutting edge of Providing care and medicine for people all over the world. Medical care. Oftentimes most major hospitals and hospital systems got their beginning with Christian roots or Christianity. Christians are the ones primarily at the front lines of defending the lives of the unborn. They're the ones who are championing marital fidelity and longevity in marriage. Christians are on the cutting edge of opposing human trafficking. That's the influence that we're supposed to have when we do have in, in the world. I was reading the other day in Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 22, and I came across this passage. It says, Because you have encouraged the wicked not to turn from his wicked way and preserve his life. Here, the prophet is chastising the false prophets because the false prophets are promoting rather than preventing wickedness. And they do so to their own detriment. Notice the text says, Not turn from his wicked way and preserve his life because if they persist in wickedness, it leads to destruction. And so as Christians, we're to be salt and the earth. And if the salt has become tasteless, which the text says, which is really interesting, salt can be spoiled... And again, the Near East, we're talking about the salt along the Dead Sea being mixed with gypsum so that it, it loses its tastiness. So, but salt never stops being salt because what happens to the tasteless salt? It's thrown out on the path and trampled underneath by people walking on it. They don't throw it out into the field. Why not? Because the salt, even though it's tasteless, will still spoil the field. It's still salt. And the application is that if, if, uh, if you are the salt and you are not living kingdom values, you are of no value to the kingdom, but you're still part of the kingdom. You're still a child of God, but you're not very effective in it and the kingdom. Then he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. The world needs spiritual light because it's in the dark, spiritually, spiritually dark, we did a series through First 1 John First 1 John 1:5. 1, God is light, and in him there is no no darkness at all. What does it mean that there is no darkness in God? It means He is absolutely pure and absolutely holy, and there's not a, a hint, a shred, a, a, an iota of taint of sin in God. He is absolutely pure. and then We have Jesus saying that believers are light. Well, how is it that we are light? God is the essence of purity. Believers are light in that we reflect and we reveal the character of God in our words and in our works. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, God sheds his light on the world through those who have received his light through Jesus Christ. And how is it that we have received the light through Jesus Christ. It's through our personal faith or our trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross as the payment for our sins. And when we confess and repent and turn from our sins and trust Christ, the light of Christ comes to dwell within us so that we are able to reflect the essence of God's purity. In our words, in our ways. And I think the, the, the we are the light of the world is very closely linked to our proclamation and our practice. We do it through what we say and what we do. See, we reflect the light of God, of Christ, the truth of the word of God to the lost world through declaring the word of God and through displaying or demonstrating the ways of God. Now, think about light. Light dispels darkness, right? I mean, what is darkness? Actually, the definition of darkness is the absence of light. There's no such thing as darkness. It's the absence of light. If you're in your attic, you need a light. And as soon as you put a light, boom, it dispels the darkness. Darkness has a way of of or light has a way of drawing us to it when it when we're in the dark. How many have ever been in a cave? You have that picture of the, of the cave? Okay? Okay, let's see that. Yeah. Boom. You ever been in a cave and you see a light, boy, your eyes just goes, you're like, oh, I'm going there. It draws us to itself. Light also directs our path. Like on a runway, an airport, it directs our path. And it's the word of God is a light into our path, see? And so the light serves in all these and our light reflecting the words of Christ and the work of Christ through our actions we dispel the darkness we draw people to Christ we direct them in their in their lives in the way that they should go and this is not to be done in secret you know people say well you know I'm kind of one of those closet Christian people well look at your Bible look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 you are the light of the world a city set on a hill Which is not hidden. Folks, I remember as a, as a college student, we were driving out west, and we came up like it's like four or five in the morning. We came up across like near Denver, and boom, the lights were just like, whoa, this there's something there. We are a city set on a hill, which cannot be hidden. Nobody takes a, a lamp and lights it and puts in under a bushel. Now I know that doesn't make much sense to us, you know, because we just, we just flip on the switch, right? It's to be public. It's to be out there. But now the righteous life cannot and should not be hidden. But it's met with mixed results. Second Corinthians chapter five, two, verses fifteen and sixteen. Uh, do we have that? Second Corinthians two. Maybe I didn't get that. But anyhow, it talks about that we are the fragrance of Christ, an aroma. And it's an aroma to those who are being saved, it's an aroma to life. But to those who are perishing, it's the aroma of death. How's that work out? Well, we're still the light, we're still the salt, but for some people it means it, it brings life, but other people it brings death. And they're, it's anathema, they're opposed to it. I just read a deal the other day about Drew Brees, Uh, NFL quarterback for the New Orleans Saints and he was in a promotion of bring your Bible to school okay so he was promoting that that young people should bring their Bible to school and then he was excoriated by some people in the media and some people because he was associating himself with uh, focus on the family which is a Hate organization, according to the people who were, and in all of this, Drew Brees was the aroma of Christ to God. In promoting "Bring Your Bible to School," and in his response to the critics that were bringing him, that brought to him, then in the end of uh, beginning of verse sixteen in chapter five is "Let your light shine before men." Let your light shine. Our righteous conduct is to be public before men, and then it's supposed to be proper. Notice this is in such a way. That's the in such a way it's supposed to be proper. Now, a lot of you people are on Facebook, uh, and you've seen Facebook posts. They're public, right? But I would submit to you that a lot of them aren't very proper. A lot of them are just garbage. So it's, our conduct is supposed to be public, but it's all supposed to be, supposed to be proper. We're supposed to represent, when we, we represent Christ, it's not supposed to be hypocrisy. It's supposed to be holiness. I know a, a business owner, and I, maybe I've mentioned this before, but he's a believer. He will not hire people who profess to be Christians, who make a big deal about them being Christians, because he's hired too many of them who've proven to be complete hypocrites. That's sad. It should be that employers want to hire people who are Christians. But if our practice doesn't match up with our profession, then we undermine, we don't build any bridges, we don't build goodwill, we erode whatever credibility we might have had to begin with. That's the first passage that instructs us. The second one is in 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning Uh, I'm just going to read verse 12, actually. It says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter was writing to the aliens scattered abroad. Basically, they were the believers that had been scattered because of persecution and suffering. And he informs them, and they represent all believers everywhere living in a contrary world. A world that's contrary to Christ. That's where they were. That's where we are. He informs them that the impact of our witness in sharing the good news depends upon the integrity of our lives. Now, I kind of put that together because if we're going to, I think, next week go into First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But in 9 and 10, he says, you're a a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's that? That's the gospel. That's sharing the gospel. But to share the gospel, they had to live the good news. That's verses 11 and 12. If you looked at at verse 11... In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from these things. And then don't, don't just abstain, but let your behavior be excellent. And so through our impact is effective if our life is lived with integrity. If it's not, then it undermines us. Excellent behavior. Excellent behavior means honorable. It means beautiful outward form. It's winsome. Uh, I live in a neighborhood, I've mentioned this before, and on both, on either side of me are two people whose landscaping is winsomely beautiful. And then there is our place. Okay? God says that in outward form, Christians' conduct should be winsome. It should be honorable, excellent behavior. That is holy character that translates into honorable conduct. Not just in our private life, but as we interact with others. And this is superior to the culture. Excellent behavior among the Gentiles. Now, this is the... In the New Testament, you read the word Gentiles, think pagans, unbelievers, okay? Same in the Old Testament when you read the nations, you know, the goyim, these are the pagans, they're they're not God's people. In the New Testament, it's the ethne, the ethnicity, the people, the Gentiles, they're anathema to to a God-fearing Jew or believer. But this is that you live among them, so be excellent among them. The unsaved world typically slanders what God sanctions. That's what he says. That you live your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, and they'll slander you as evildoers. Your good deeds will be slandered as, as if you're doing evil. Well, isn't that what we find in the world that's what i find it in the world the first century christians were considered undermining the roman rule why well because they didn't believe in all the idolatry they didn't worship caesar as god uh, they pledged allegiance to christ and not to rome and They were considered as atheists, which is interesting because they wouldn't follow along with the Roman pantheon of gods. And so they were anathema to the Romans. And you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ living out your faith, we are also considered... Think about it. If you actually believe in, in literal creationism, you're not a Darwinian evolutionist. You are considered irrational and absolutely unscientific. And there's a professor at Iowa State University who was run out on a rail because he was actually, believed, intelligent design. Denied tenure. I mean, you got to be a really whacked out person to be denied tenure in these days at a university. If, if we are people who advocate biblical standards for marriage, for sexuality, for morality, we are going to be considered and labeled as intolerant, hateful, sexist, bigots. You name it. This is the culture in which we live. I read a professed or a professed atheist who previously believed that the Bible and this are, these are the words they used, the Bible is threatening, dangerous and irrational. In a culture like that, what deeds can we do that would build goodwill? Well, we've gotten the instructions. Now let's look at the implications. What can we do? I'm just going to throw out a few things, suggestions. This is, uh, you know, the Bible is full of examples of people who were doing good things. But these are ones that maybe for us, we can show compassion towards non-Christians, to people who actually don't like us. There's a, I just heard of, you know, some churches do this. They, they have like an appreciation dinner for the first responders. You know, they have like a meal. And they bring and in, invite all the first responders and just say, we appreciate what you do. Now, I know some of those are believers and some are, unbel- those are unbelievers. But they're showing compassion. They're being kind. I've been challenged to, you know, talk to people. And again, in, in our spheres of influence, what, what is it like to ask people, you know, what does your name mean? And for a lot of people, especially from different cultures, their names are very, very uh, much more important as having a meaning than for us as Anglos who grew up in America. So what does your name mean? Or here's one for everybody. How, how's life? How's life? How's your life right now? Instead of how you doing? Well, I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? i Not really. I'm cruddy. Nobody says that. They probably feel like it. Most people feel like But how's life? How's life treating you? Well, I've been better. There's been things that it's easier to open up. So show compassion. How about we uh, think of the things we're doing to build goodwill as a church body and then kind of ramp it up a little bit. I mean, we've done that a little bit, but like our 4th of July celebration, Now, I'm not saying it has to be or doesn't have to be, but we've kind of made a little bit more of an effort to, to make it a, a build goodwill thing. You know, hey, come put up your lawn chair. We got a big yard. You can put out your blanket and watch the fireworks for free. It's free parking. We'll give you some water. We'll give you a slushy. We'll give you some popcorn, whatever. Why? Why would they do that? Well, because we don't want you to think that we're just narrow-minded bigots. We really actually do care about people. And uh, how about praying consistently for our neighbors, prayerfully and consistently love them. You know, got neighbors. I have neighbors, neighbors that need prayer for. You know, I have found, I think there's only been one person that I've ever had in my life that I actually, I said, you know, would you mind if I prayed for you? That said no. Almost everybody will be open to letting you pray for them. And I have many opportunities just in interacting with people. And God, by his spirit, prompts me to say, Steve, just ask him if you can pray for him. And, you know, they, they appreciate that you lovingly, prayerfully, consistently love them. You know, we have individually, we can love our neighbors, you know, we can help them with their leaves, we can take a meal to them when they're sick, we can do all kinds of nice things. And some of you are already doing that, great, keep doing it. Then as a church body, we can love our neighbors. I'm thinking about uh, this, you know, we have opportunities Now, as a church, we're located between the reserve and Glen Oaks. We have neighbors on either side. We could actually demonstrate some love to them in in specific ways. We could actually, uh, we have right next door, just on the other side of that partition, four days a week, we have a preschool. What could we do to build goodwill by caring and loving the staff and the students and the parents of the kids who bring, or the parents who bring their children here? I'll get it right yet. The possibilities are really endless. My mom was telling me the other day that in their church, they, they actually pray for school teachers and school workers. And so everybody who has a family member or friend or person that they know who's in, in, in a school system, they share with them their name. And then they at, regularly, consistently pray for the specific needs of those people. Whoa. I wonder what the school administration would do. say, so we'd just like to list the name of your teachers and stuff because we'd really like to just begin praying for them. What are some specific prayer requests we could, you know, things we could be praying about? I wonder what the teachers at some of the local schools would do if if we actually brought them, uh, you know, like a, a breakfast meal on the day that they had one of those in-services. We did this in Albert City. We, we brought them lunch, you know. We'd say, okay, we're going to cater a lunch for the in-service, you know. They're a little bit... You know, they get a little touchy about the, this separation of church and state thing, but they never give up free food. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a deal. As long as they can serve it, we just didn't, it didn't have to. We just brought it, we provided it, brought it in and dumped it in the teacher's lounge, and then they just ate it. You know, these are just things we can do to consistently love and care for people. You know, Colossians 4.15 says, Conduct yourself with wisdom towards those who are outside, making the most of every opportunity. We're instructed. There's an intention for doing this. There's a motivation behind it. If you go back to Matthew chapter 5 and you look at the end of verse uh, 16, he says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And then what's the end of it? That they might glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, that's the deal. Do good works to build goodwill so we can share good news. We build the goodwill through doing the good works. And they will come to glorify our Father. emphasizes intimacy. It emphasizes the, the tenderness of God. We want them to know that God cares about them. They'll glorify our Father who is in heaven. That emphasizes His transcendence and His holiness. So we want to emphasize through our good works God's grace and His greatness, His mercy and His magnificence. And when we do good works, we emphasize both of those things. We were created, the prophet Isaiah it says in forty three seven, to bring God glory, and through doing good works, we put feet on our faith and promote God's glory, and, and encourage God's glory. In First Peter chapter twelve, at the end of verse, or First Peter two, at the end of verse twelve, uh, the author says that. Those who slander you as evildoers may on account of your good deeds glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, that's a, An interesting phrase, the day of visitation, because oftentimes the day of visitation is used in reference to judgment, but it's also used in reference to blessing. And I think the latter is the focus here in the context where he's talking about them being aliens and strangers, abstaining from uh, fleshly lusts and living their lives excellent in behavior. And in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he's talking to them about uh, they've been called, to, chosen to share the good news of Christ, the ideas of redemption, the ideas of salvation, the ideas of blessing, our good works pave the way. So on the day that God visits people, when God shows up in their lives, what happens is that many of them turn from their sin to Christ through faith, and they glorify God for his grace in their lives. I think that's the picture. So that on the day, the ones, the ones who are slandering us now for our good deeds, some of them will on the day when God shows up in their life, say, whoa, these guys were, they had it right, and now I'm a child turning from my sin, trusting Christ, and now I'm a child of God. And I give God glory and I give him praise. I couldn't help but thinking about uh, a book that I read uh, uh, the Secret Thoughts of an un- Unlikely Convert by Rosaria Butterfield. An atheist, lesbian professor at Syracuse University. Here's what she says happened as Dr. Uh, Pastor Ken Smith and his wife invited her over. Here's what she says. That these two modeled to me organic Christian hospitality and the life-sustaining action of neighboring. Through the course of time, this couple kept inviting her over, and their good works built goodwill that served as a platform for sharing the good news until finally there was a day in which she repented of her sins, and she turned and she trusts Christ as her Lord and Savior. That's what it's all about. This is the kind of excellent behavior that God calls us to in the body of Christ so that others will glorify him when he visits them. There is instruction, there is intention, and then there is another yet another incentive to build goodwill. We said last week that we're created for good works and we're commanded to good works, But we don't just do it out of a that we're created or we're commanded, but we also do it because we have compassion for the lost. This was Jesus in Mark chapter six. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus and his disciples had had this great intense ministry and they were just wiped out. And they said, hey, we need a little R&R. Or Jesus said that. So Jesus took them off on a boat and they went in to get some R&R. But the crowd knew that they were going somewhere. And it was, you know, they didn't have a big city to hide in. They were going across a little uh, Sea of Galilee. And so they had to, everybody saw and they just ran around and got there before they got there. And notice what Jesus says in Mark chapter 6 verse 34 in his response to the crowd how that they are like sheep without a shepherd he had compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd now most of you are not farmers but what do sheep what are sheep without a shepherd wolf bait okay they're toast I mean, a male wolf can come in and hamstring about uh, 20 or 30 sheep in a matter of minutes. And then they'll take out the whole herd, hamstring them, then come back later and kill them. And then they'll eat them as, as they need to. Does it matter to me? Does it matter to you that as Paul described in Ephesians, that these people, that we are like lost people, and Paul says it in Ephesians chapter chapter two that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Children of wrath deserving God's judgment. Without hope, without God in the world. Does that do I care that lost people are going to hell? That they're toast. That they're like sheep without a shepherd. God help us to see that the people that berate us and bemoan us and are antagonistic, us, they're not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. We want to be a bridge. I want you to see this. I think you have the, uh bridge. We have a bridge. I put a bridge in there. I thought, no. Okay. Is there a bridge? Nope. No bridge. You know what a bridge is, right? Uh We're to be a bridge between the antagonistic, apathetic unbelievers to Christ through the church as we do good works, we build goodwill that promotes the opportunity for people to cross over and get to know the person of Jesus through us. And that's the opportunity that we have so that they will be, as we said in the first service this morning, that Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We want them to be at peace with God. They're not at peace with God. If they were at peace with God, they wouldn't be so antagonistic towards Christ. They'd be lovers of God. We do good works to build goodwill so they'll hear the good news and bring glory to God. You know, some of you may be this morning here this morning, and you may be uh, not a child of God. Maybe this is uh, a little different to you, and you you think, "Yeah, I came to this church, and now I'm hearing that all those who aren't Christians are a project." No, you're precious. I just read in uh, Ezekiel this morning that God takes no delight in the death of the ungodly. He's not pleased. And believers, we are called to do good works regardless of whether you, if you're an unbeliever, respond in the way we want you to. That's not why we do it. We want you to respond. We are not sadistic. We don't want to take out everybody who's not one of us. We want to grow the flock. And so we do good works to build goodwill so that we can share good news, so that you'll give glory to God because you'll see his mercy and grace in your own life. And think about this if you're an unbeliever. The history of Christianity is marked by people doing good works even when people don't care. The black plague in Europe. Humanitarian efforts in the Bahamas. The Christians are leading the charge in many of these things. Out of a love for Christ. It may be that you're here this morning and if you don't know Jesus, it may be just that you're feeling a little bit convicted and your inner being is a little bit unsettled because the life of believers highlights an inner being that's a mess. And such as it is. That's the way it is with all of us who come to faith in Christ. At some point we had to realize we're messed up. Because if we didn't know we were messed up, we wouldn't need a Savior. And we need a Savior, so we realize we're messed up, and that's all we want. We just want to stir the pot so that other people see that they're messed up and that they see that this Christianity stuff is real as we live it out. I want you to turn from your sin and trust this Christ who died on the cross so that you could live and have new life in Him. And those of us who know Jesus... Think about it. God has instructed us to do good works so that we can build goodwill, so that we can share good news because we care about those who are lost. We want to be a part of the journey of faith of other people. I got an email a few years ago from a guy in the church handed it to me. His daughter had sent it to him from somebody in this girl's small group a devout Wahhabi Muslim, had come to the West to further his education. And because he was interested in learning more about the culture and practicing his English, he went to an organization that paired him up with a a family. And here's the description. The family was told by this organization to reach out to him, to give him many opportunities to speak English, And to show him the love of Jesus. And hear his testimony of what happened. He says these words. For the next seven months, this family loved me in a way that far exceeded my expectations. They showed Christ to me through their actions and through their lifestyle. And because of that interaction, the man began to doubt his Muslim faith. And vowed to search out Christianity, investigate it. And then God brought another person into the man's life, another family, and he says of this man that he was impressed by his faith and his walk, his joy, his peace, and the light that was shining out of him. He goes on to say, I fell in love with Christ who has such power to change these people. The turning point in my life happened because of simple acts of of love by two separate families who truly were a shining light, just as they were commanded in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Through these simple acts of love, I came to know my beloved Jesus Christ, and through their love, our Father in heaven was glorified and will continue to be glorified. I don't know about you. That's what I want to be a part of. Being part of doing good works. To build goodwill. So that I can share good news. And even when I don't share good news, even if I've just built goodwill, it opens the door for the good news to soak in so that others bring glory to God. And as we break this bread and drink this cup, we remember that Jesus Christ died so that all who believe could have life in him and it's this life in him that moves us to want others to have that same life. It is his sacrifice that we realize his grace so we want to show good works, do good works and, and build that will so that others will know his grace as well. And so take a moment and reflect on what Christ has done for you and ask God to work in all of our hearts that we would want what we have, not to be like, you know, get all we can and can all we get and sit on the can, but that we would share it with the rest of the world. Let's pray. Father, may you be glorified through the work and the ministry of us as individuals and as Creekside Church. Help us to be passionate, Father, about doing good works, to build goodwill so that we can share good news because we want you to be glorified through the lives that are changed, ours and those of the people we come in contact with. We pray in Jesus' name.